0: For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message.
1: Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as we talk about a house divided, a house divided. As you know by now, Paul wrote in the first chapter, verse 10, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And saying that can be a mouthful, especially in a church where uh, people come every week from different backgrounds and different traditions and come all together in the same place and strive together for the same goal, sometimes it can be more uh, easier said than done for us to actually agree about anything, right? Uh, but this is the call of God's Word. A church that has been united to Christ must then be united in Christ. It's what it means to be in unity, to be eager to agree together and be of the same mind And the same judgment. And so this is our goal. But as I said to you last week, and as we begin to discuss again this morning, you can't be in unity as a church if you're too busy tripping over your own ego. As we've seen so far, the biggest problem perhaps in the church when it comes to unity, or maybe just in general, the biggest problem in the church is pride. The church at Corinth had a lofty opinion of themselves. They had an inflated view of their own importance, uh, an inflated view of who who they were before God, even before one another, developing superiority complexes over those who were around them. And I want you to know this morning that the same can happen in any church in the world at any time in history. We have to constantly be on our guard to... Protect against pride. Confidence in self needs constant correction in the local church. And if we're going to be effective for the kingdom, we must be vigilant about such matters. In order to help the church at Corinth then to see the danger of this problem of pride among them, Paul uses two illustrations. We looked at the first one last week, that of a field. We saw that God is sovereign over the growth of the church. Sure, some of us may plant, others of us may water, but ultimately it is God who provides growth in the church. My actions and my efforts are not decisive in the growth of the local church. Only God can provide that growth to live as if the success Of the church rises or falls on me, my particular position, my giving, my influence. It's nothing more than pride and pride divides the church. So we must realize that God alone is sovereign over the growth of his church. And you and I are God's field. Well, there's a second illustration that we come to this morning Paul is helping the church here once again see the danger of pride among them. That illustration is a building. You are God's building. It's critical for us to have a proper foundation in that building and to build on that foundation in the right way. Paul's not talking about brick and mortar. He's not talking about the building that you're Sitting on the church is not merely a physical building and a place that you come to every week. It's not what he means. What does Paul mean by a building? Well, let's find out. If you have your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word as we look together chapter 3 beginning in verse 10. Paul writes, Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but as but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. I thank you that through that blood you tore the veil of separation between us and your very presence that we have come into the holiest place with boldness because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gospel for the cross we now not only are in the holiest place, we have become the tabernacle of the Most High God. We have become your temple, your dwelling place. And the temple that we are now building as we co-labor with you, we must get the foundation right. Praise God, you have already laid it, you have provided It to us in your word, may we see that clearly this morning. And would you help us as we strive to build on the foundation that has been laid to build in such a way that we would bring honor and glory to you and your kingdom, that we would see you as the master builder. Lord, we do pray that those who are here among us this morning or maybe even joining us online who do not know Christ, and who have built their lives on a different foundation altogether. That you would show them this morning that it is crumbling beneath their feet. And that you would call them to believe upon the only hope that has been given among men. The only name by which we might be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, it's time change Sunday and it just started raining, so that means I get an extra few minutes, right? We're an hour ahead, so I'm kidding. Paul is helping the church here. He's helping the church get a proper perspective on who they are in the kingdom. It's really easy to get the Christian life out of the right perspective, isn't it? To lose perspective, to see our lives as greater than what they are. In view of a holy God. And so what Paul is doing is reminding them to get off of the pedestals on which they stand and see themselves as subject to Christ in Christ alone. And he does so by giving them two different illustrations. A field and a building. And as I shared with you last week, there's one question that governs the meaning of those two illustrations, and we must see it that way as Scripture tells it. So verse five is the question. What then is Apollos? The second question is like it. What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. So again, those in Corinth have kind of an inflated view of who they are and how important they are to the church and its success, right? Without me, Corinth, you would not be anything they might say. Without my particular ministry, without my giving, without me being there to serve, without the position that I fill, well, the church would just fall apart. So, Corinth, you need me. And then they take those same lofty opinions and they begin to form interest groups around those opinions and appoint leadership. Apollos, Paul, Cephas, even naming Jesus as their one of their leaders, but only a Jesus who would be concerned about their interests. And so they divide from one another. So Paul, again, with a hint of sarcasm, says, why do you think that any of these people are anything? At the end of the day, we're all just people following after Jesus. We're all just sinners saved by grace. None of us has freedom or right to boast in anything in ourselves. So we ask, what really is Apollos? What really is Paul? Just servants of Christ. Servants who weren't even not even taking up the task on their own. They were appointed by Jesus. You've you, you just got what you've got because of what Christ has done in Christ alone. Aren't they just servants through the one Of the one in whom you've believed, the one whom can save, the one who is sovereign over all. See, it's easy to get an inflated sense of how much better the kingdom of God is since we're in it. But human ego always distracts, divides, derails and eventually destroys The local church. So Paul warns them first with a field and now with a building. Verse nine, he says, you are God's field and you are God's building. It's the theme of this next section. You are God's building. There's a few simple things before we even get into what Paul is saying that you need to recognize about that statement. Oftentimes when you're reading scripture, it's helpful to emphasize one word at a time so you get what the author is putting forward. And the meaning just begins to kind of just bulge, right, with so much truth. First thing to do is to emphasize the word you. You are God's building. The people are God's building. We, you and I, are God's building. Maybe if you grew up in church, you used to sing the little rhyme that says, here's the church, right? Here's the steeple, open up the doors and here's all the people. You remember that? It's wrong. (laughs) Here's the church. It is all of the people. The church is not a building of brick and mortar. It is a building of people. Now, buildings are important. Sometimes powerful tools for doing kingdom work, but they are not the be all end all in the kingdom. In fact, churches can become incredibly divided over buildings. You know, the age old illustration in the Baptist churches, we would fight even over the color of the carpet. Actually, that's true in some churches, right? We just got green carpet and we got to deal with it. But, you know, that's that's the reality of. Buildings, people get upset over some of the stupidest things, right? We get upset over people using our space and not putting things back exactly the way they found it, moving things around our classrooms, changing the look of things that have been there for years and years and years. It's called territorialism when we want to defend what we see as ours And we get bent out of shape because our love, don't miss this now, our love for a building has come while we neglect love for the building, love for one another. You see that? You are God's building. And number two, you are God's building. Let's make that clear this morning. The church is not about what you can build or what I can build. The church is about what God is building. Now, I can build a great sermon and a great strategy. Hopefully. You can build a great auditorium. Great educational space. Some of you can build great children's programs. Some of us build great budgets and processes. Some of us build great lawns and landscaping. But at the end of the day, the list going on and on and on, only God can build the church. You follow me? All of that is just building on a foundation that has already been laid. Matthew 16 and verse 18 says on this rock, Jesus said, by the way, on Peter's confession as G of Jesus Christ as Lord, he says on that rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is building his church. In fact, Psalm 127 and verse one says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And the context there is talking about human determinism and how we think that we kind of rule the world and everything rises and falls on us. Operating as if that's the ultimate determining factor in the universe But the reality is it is God who builds the church. And unless he builds it, it will fail. You are God's building. The third thing to notice is just emphasize the word building. You are God's building. Is that word plural or singular? Singular, isn't it? The problem is they're building at least four buildings at Corinth. The church at Corinth was not singular in their kingdom focus. They were going in four different directions just as fast as they could. And they were more concerned about building their own buildings and their own kingdoms and keeping others out of those buildings and out of those kingdoms than they were about building the kingdom, the building called the church. Which, by the way, is even bigger than Corinth. So much bigger than just a single local church. God is building for himself a building, a kingdom of people from every tribe, tongue and nation, a multitude that is innumerable. And when you get to heaven and you see all the people that are there, what a what a rejoicing day that will be when we see who God has saved for his glory. And you won't even be able to count all of the people that God has saved. One building. Okay, so that's the illustration. You are God's building. But notice that all of the textual weight. Is not on being the building, but on a particular part of the building. That's what matters most here in the passage. Paul does deal with the issue of how the church is building and that matters. And we're going to come to that in a moment. But like the field and being fellow workers. There's a particular thing in the building that Paul is most interested in, and that is the foundation. The thing that matters most is having a firm foundation. We know this in Florida because we have a bunch of sand in Florida. You've got to get the foundation right, or the building crumbles. We must be built on a proper foundation and, by the way, never be moved from that foundation. We must remain on that foundation. Some of you have been through hurricanes. You remember in Panama City when houses were literally just swept off their foundation and they failed to stand. We have to remain firmly planted on our foundation against every threat of division against every manifestation of human pride or flesh and against every tailwind of cultural pressure. The church must remain on this particular foundation. Well, what is it? Verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it But Paul makes very clear. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the only foundation upon which the church can be built. Paul laid that foundation as a skilled worker. He determined to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He wanted to make sure that the gospel was at the very foundation of all that the church did, because Jesus alone can save. Jesus alone can heal and Jesus alone can build his church. Church, without Jesus as our foundation, we will ultimately fall. Hear what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth. The foundation of God's church is Jesus. Don't miss this. And everything that we do must be built on him. The foundation of God's church is Jesus. And everything that we do must be built upon him. It's not sprinkling a little of Jesus on. It's not adding Jesus to our plans. Jesus is literally all to us. And that's Paul's main point. Remember, he's responding to the question in verse five. What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? You see, this is a church that believes, although they may not come out and say it, right in words, they believe and they're operating like the entire weight of the kingdom rests on their shoulders. God has given us work to do, and you better do it well because it rests on you, is their belief. At the end of the day, though, we have to come to the realization and have to be reminded again and again that none of the kingdom success of Southwide Baptist Church rests on us. All of it rests on Jesus and we are only co-laborers with Jesus working in response to what he has already declared to be the victor over. We serve a king who is victorious and a savior who will not fail to build his church. And we get the opportunity to join him in that. Everything we do must be built upon Jesus. Church, listen, any church that is built by and for man will not stand, but the church that is built on Jesus will not fall. We have great hope this morning as we build our church upon Christ. We do not build the church on the strength of our programs. We do not build the church on the wisdom of our strategy. We do not build the church on the beauty of our buildings. We do not build the church on the good efforts of all of our committees and ministry teams. We don't even build the church on the friendliness of our people or the attractiveness of our music or the size of our youth and kids programs All of those are good things, but we don't build the church on anything we can offer apart from Christ. All those other things. When they're good, they're good. When they're not, they divide us. Jesus, however, is always good. And when he is the foundation, he is the rock on which we stand. And all other ground is sinking sand the end of the sermon on the mount you may recall the story it's a well-known story or well-known passage of scripture matthew chapter 7 and verse 24 after jesus had finished almost finished the sermon on the mount he concludes it in this way everyone then who hears these words of mine and does not uh, rather and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell And great was the fall of it. If you've been down to South Walton at all on our beaches, you see all of the homes that are being built. Some of them wood frame, but most of them being built out of concrete. Why? Because they understand the value of a good foundation in the midst of the storm. And you need to know that the storms of life are going to come. The storms of the culture are going to come. And there will even be storms that spin up inside the church. And unless we are built on the foundation that is Christ, we will fall. So we build on him, Christ, our firm foundation. So that's the structure of the church, the people, God's building A foundation that must be laid. And Paul says, I've laid that foundation. In one sense, it was laid for the church at Corinth and it's been laid for us by the apostles and the prophets. We have in God's word the story and testimony of Jesus life and all that he desires us to know and all that is true, all that God would communicate about himself and the world and us. We have that in God's word. We have a firm foundation Ephesians chapter two says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. This is verse 19 and following. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Paul there again talking about building a building. He says in verse 20 that it is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows Into a holy temple in the Lord. This is who we want to be. With Christ as our foundation. So it's been laid. But then Paul says. Even though it rests entirely and decisively on Jesus. That doesn't give you a pass. To just kind of coast. In response to the foundation that's been laid. He actually calls the church to build, and not only to build, but to build rightly. What do I mean by that? Chapter 3, verse 10 says, let each one take care how he builds upon it. That's a hugely important command, isn't it? Take care how you build on it. You, you can't just go at this thing in any old way. Be very careful. Give great attention to the way that you are building. Pay attention to what God has said. It's in the details. Every effort of swinging a hammer has to be done in the way God says. You you frame a wall, you hang a picture in this temple that is God's building, even though they are not deterministic actions. God has seen fit under his sovereignty to build his church through the building, through his people. The success of the church does not rise and fall on you, but your work in the church and for the kingdom absolutely matters. It has value because Paul says, take care, take care how you build. So if the foundation is Jesus and we've got to be diligent and determined that everything that we do is built on Jesus, what does that look like? Well, Paul expands his command to the church to take care how you build in four different ways as he explains what he means. We see the first one there in verse 11. And it's quite simple and it may seem Painfully obvious, but it's don't build on a different foundation. Don't build on a different foundation. So in verse 11, again, bears repeating, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. And the foundation that Paul is talking about is the cross of Jesus. That's where he began this book. Paul is describing the gospel. Not just Whatever Jesus you make up in your mind or whatever Jesus the culture presents you, presents to you. But the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus who is co-eternal with the Father. Who always was, always will be. Jesus who is equal with God. Who is God in human flesh. The Son of God. Who came into the world to bear the sins of people. To take on as a righteous suffering servant my sins and your sins on the cross. In order that the penalty of our sin, which is death, eternal separation from God. In order that that might be satisfied. Jesus bore our sins on the cross. He was buried and three days later, as we sang about this morning, Jesus rose from the dead. And he's alive and he's king of kings and he's Lord of lords. And the Bible says that all who put their faith and trust in Jesus, turning from their sins and turning to Christ, will be saved. This is the foundation. And church, we are so prone and so tempted to begin to stray from what is the biblical gospel and to build our church on so many of these other things that really don't matter that much. And the church that strays from the foundation of the gospel will find themselves divided and ineffective for the kingdom. We must build everything that we are on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are entire church movements in our day that have literally gone off the rails because they've chased after things that are contrary to the gospel. I could give you illustration after illustration this morning. I'll just give you two. One of those is the prosperity gospel movement. A movement that says health, wealth and prosperity is what God has intended for your life, that there will be no trial, no pain. And the ultimate good of life is to be happy. They've chased after a model that teaches human success and earthly gain. The Bible does not teach any of those things. Unfortunately, they've turned these things into a God and Jesus actually becomes the gateway to get to what is good. What is prosperous? What is healthy and wealthy? It is a false gospel. And the church has laid this foundation and sadly, in order to continue to build on this foundation, it is a church that must provide more and more and more and more to its people, promising more things that Jesus never promised. It is a gospel that ultimately crumbles beneath us, a gospel that fails to deliver what it promises and a gospel that ultimately fails to save Early in the church's history, they began to formalize, form congregations and churches and denominations and various cooperations of churches. And we came to have the Catholic Church, as you may know it today, Rome. Around the 15th century, there was a reformation. The church had gone sideways and began to teach that we are saved through works there are various things that the church offers. This is not a biblical gospel. The gospel says that it is by grace through faith that we are saved, that not of ourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We can only be saved through a gospel of faith. Faith in Christ In Christ alone is a gospel of grace. And the church went sideways and Martin Luther stood the door of the Catholic Church and nailed his 95 theses To the door of the church, calling the church to reformation, to a a faithful gospel to come back to its foundation. You see, it's possible if we're not careful to get away from what is our foundation and to build on something entirely different. And even on some things that perhaps do not save. One preacher put it this way. If you use carnal means to attract men, you're going to attract carnal men. And you're going to have to keep using greater carnal means to keep them in church. So, what has happened is this we have these large churches filled with many unconverted carnal people. As a side note, can I ask you this morning, what foundation are you building your life on? Because as much as the Gospel of Christ is the foundation for the church. It must be the foundation for every human life. Because apart from Christ, we have no hope. Just a few moments, we're going to give a time of invitation and call you to respond, to believe upon Christ. Would you do that this morning and trust in Jesus as your firm foundation? The only way that you can be saved, would you stop building on things that don't matter and give it all to Christ? There's a second way that Paul expands this here. Verse 12 and following There's actually kind of two things nested together here. Here's the first one. Build with things that have eternal value. So you've got to get the foundation right. And then when you build on top of it, you've got to build with things that have eternal value. With me at verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation and Paul makes a list here, a list of six things, the first three go together, the last three go together. So if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, those things are alike. And then wood, hay and straw. Those things are alike. And then he explains the difference. Verse 13. Each one's work will become manifest or will be shown for the day, which is capitalized in the English Standard Version. Maybe it's capitalized in your Bible as well. It points to the day of judgment. The day will disclose it, will make it. Visible will show what it really is, the work that you did, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now, here's the contrast. Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So. Gold, silver, precious stones, they don't burn. Wood, hay, straw, they burn. So if if you have work, you've built on the foundation which is Christ, and it is gold, silver, and precious stones, then it survives and you will receive reward from the Father on the day of judgment. Now those are not things you would typically build a building out of. What is Paul describing? If you build a building out of gold, gold is soft. It's not going to stand very well. Paul is describing things that are of lasting worth. As you think about those things here on earth, they demonstrate value and endurance. Gold, it's in precious intrinsic worth and it's endurance. He's not giving a lesson about structural engineering here. He's giving a lesson about Eternal value. You're building on a solid foundation. It's already a strong structure. The things that you need to give careful attention to are the things that have lasting worth. Eternal value. So what are those things? There's a lot of them. A lot of things that God's word says matters. I could just give you a few. Evangelism matters. Sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with those who are far from God. Who will spend eternity in hell apart from the saving of Jesus, his rescue of them, that matters. That makes a kingdom impact. Various ministries within the church where we meet needs in the name of Christ, And do so so that people would come to faith in Christ. God's Word gives examples like orphan care or ministry to the poor or to the widows. These are eternally significant tasks. Serving in the kingdom. Serving in your local church, volunteering and serving in various ways, whether it's investing your life in children at the church, in the nursery or serving in the sound room and being a part of making sure that worship is an experience with God or or taking up the offering on a Sunday morning or coming up and digging up some bushes because the pastor's office has got a leak in it. Right. Those things matter. Why? Because they're serving. God's church. Church. Disciple making, investing your life in someone else as you teach them what it looks like, both by your words and by your example, what it means to follow Jesus. Some of you in this room may be called into full time ministry one day as the Lord sees fit. Even the things that we do outside of the church and our families, raising our children matters eternally. Having healthy marriages that honor the Lord matters eternally, you see. Honoring God by obeying his word. These are the things that eternally matter. And we will answer to God as believers for these things. And I say to you this morning in the authority of God's word that as we serve the king and our faithfulness to him, that great is our reward in heaven. We serve him. This is where Paul contrasts, though, because it's not just building on things that matter. He rebukes the church for building with things that don't matter. Right. So, again, verse 12, the second half of the list, wood, hay and straw. So then when you get to verse 13, it's pretty clear. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. How will that happen? Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. We've had forest fires around here quite a bit, right? You put wood, hay, straw in a fire. How long does it last? Not very long. There is no enduring value to these building materials. And so Paul says in verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Now, there's a caveat Because we're talking to the church, which means we're talking to Christians, right? Believers. And he says, though he himself will be saved. Praise God for his grace. Amen. Now, if you live your life doing nothing for the kingdom. It's not an issue of what you're building with. It's an issue of what foundation you have. And that's a problem. If you don't have the foundation of Jesus, you're not going to heaven. Amen. Church. Without the foundation that is Christ, there is no way into heaven. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by Him. But those of us who have trouble building with the right things, you need to understand that you're going to walk through the fire. And the fire is going to burn up all the things that didn't matter that you invested so much time and energy into. Some examples... Money and possessions need money to work in the kingdom. We give that matters matters big time. Without giving to the church, God has seen fit that giving is a means through which he grows his church. But if you make your whole life about what you can gain. What does it profit a man to gain the entire world, but to lose his own soul? Jesus says. It doesn't matter much. Human success and achievement. You can have the biggest portfolio. And the biggest promotions at work. And you can be serving in the biggest kingdom. being the, Having the biggest salary. And at the end of the day. It doesn't matter. Because you won't have the same salary. When you walk through heaven's gates. You'll walk through just like. The rest of. The church. Fame. Image. Many of us live for the praise of men to make sure that we get all of the accolades and the attaboys and the pats on the back. And none of that matters anything in the kingdom. Some of us spend our lives living for pleasure. Be as happy as you can be. Get fulfilled in your flesh as much as you can. And none of that matters. It's all passing. Power. Even learning. Learning. You can learn all you can learn in life and never come to the knowledge of the truth. It's not about how much, you know, it's about who, you know, it's about knowing Jesus Christ. And so be careful. Be careful. Your salvation will not be lost. But the mark you leave on the kingdom for the glory of God matters. So build with eternally significant things. There's a fourth one, and we'll close. There's one final warning here in verse 16 and 17, and I don't want you to miss it. And that is, don't tear down what God is building. Don't tear down what God is building. Verse 16 and 17 seem somewhat out of place unless you read it in context. It may seem like a new thought. But he reminds the church, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. It's talking about, again, believers, the people, not the building, the people. There's so much packed into this, but if you just Bring in some of your Old Testament background and, and go back and read, maybe, about the tabernacle and the temple and what happened as, as God instructed His people to build a tabernacle in order that His presence would have a place to dwell among them, that that presence descended from heaven into the holiest place, and there was an entire process to become clean, to become holy in order to go into that presence that could only be done by the high priest. That line of 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 practice continued into the temple building beyond the tabernacle and into the New Testament. But when Jesus went to the cross, he ripped the veil from top to bottom. And you and I are now able to come into the presence of God directly without any other priest. But the high priest who is Jesus and you and I get to dwell in the presence of God. Now that if you read the end of the story in Revelation, there is no temple in the New Jerusalem. Why? Because we are the temple, the dwelling place of God. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and he has tabernacled. He has dwelt among us and we have beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. You see, we we are the dwelling place of God. And so this is a holy place and a holy people, not because anything we've done. But because what Christ has done, and don't miss it, to divide the church, to do things that are intentionally divisive, to tear one another down, to use our tongue in an unholy way, to gossip, to slander, to malign, to hate. To not forgive and to do so with an embittered, hardened heart is to desecrate the temple of the Lord. We are God's holy dwelling place. And you ought to see your brothers and sisters in a way that honors the holiness of the living God. Praise God. With the blood of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. We get to experience Him in this way. And so we, rather than tearing down His building, we build it up. And we build with what matters, keeping the foundation, the only foundation that can be laid, that which is Christ. So let me ask you this morning what is your life's foundation? Are you building on a foundation that is worthy? Are you building on a foundation that will stand, that is strong? Are you building on Jesus? The only one through whom we can be saved. Church, are we, are we building on Jesus? And are we building in a way that honors Him and builds up His church? In a way that really matters. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you would answer no to one of those questions this morning. This morning, we're going to have a time of response, invitation. Simply your opportunity to obey Jesus and what he said to you in his word this morning. Only you can know what God is speaking to your heart. It will be. The authority of God's word that calls you to obedience this morning and you have to make a decision today. Will you obey Jesus? Or will you build on another foundation? Or will you invest in things that really don't matter? The decision is yours this morning. But Jesus calls you to obey him. So if you are willing this morning to obey Christ, in just a few moments we're going to stand And we're going to sing. And I want to invite you to come right from the place where you'll be standing. Step out of that aisle. Maybe you need to come this morning and profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You come right down that aisle as soon as we begin to sing. Today, Pastor, I need to be saved. And I'll lead you to Jesus and he'll save you. Maybe you need to come and pray. Maybe you need to bring somebody with you. Maybe there's another decision that's been laid on your heart by the Lord this morning. You respond in obedience to him. Would you stand with me all across the room? Lord Jesus, we praise you for what you've spoken to us in, our word today, in your words today. We ask that you would lead our feet and our hearts to obedience. May we respond in faithfulness to you. And may you receive glory and honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning as Dylan leads us.
0: You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast. With Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.